You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, we count it a joy once again to be in your presence and to be close to us, uh, for you to be close to us and for us to be close to you. And as you've told us in John 17, that it's your great desire for us to be close to one another and close to the world in the sense that we can draw them to you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to learn uh, these important things, these things that are uh, valuable to us as we interact with others who may not believe like we do, who may not believe much of anything at all. And so we just appeal to you, Lord, to come near. Bless each one here today, those that are on their way. And uh, we just rejoice in you and the hope that we have in you. And we ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday we were looking at uh, a number of various things that atheists may say. And we looked at first, before that, some of the evidence that we have for the credibility of the Bible, right? And uh, so we're going to continue on that track today. And I believe, hopefully, that it'll be a blessing to you. So the one that we ended with yesterday was the argument that is many times given that the concept of God is not supported by science. And the truth is that science doesn't want to bring God into the equation, right? And we saw that, which is truly unscientific because you have to really include every possibility. And so uh, there's this concept that macro, well, scientific evidence goes against the existence of God. And, and I mean, that's just not true. But what it said is, if we can solve the, the mysteries of the universe, so to speak, and if we can uh, explain things from a scientific view, then that does away with the concept of God. But no Christian has ever said, I only believe in God because I, I see things in the world I can't explain. No one, ever, no one believes that. But that's what many of the scientific minds or the atheistic minds, they want to make that case. All you Christians are just weak-minded because you, you, can't, you don't understand the laws of physics and thermodynamics, so therefore you just say that God did it. Well, no, I, no one ever says that. That's what they said in the Dark Ages, but that's not what we say today. And I have an entire bookshelf full of books that you can buy, and I can create a list. Uh, by the way, I do want to mention, <clears throat> I mentioned it yesterday, but all of the audio files will be on the campsite. And then I, I, he told me that he can upload all my PowerPoints. And I do have a couple of um, uh, documents that I'll put on there for you as well. And I can, what I can do if I have time while I'm moving is uh, I'll put together a list of books that are, are good. Uh, but if you go down, especially down to Andrews, uh, which actually no, because it closed, the ABC closed there. Um, but I, probably in the Andrews University Bookstore, there's a number of books on creation science and other things. And you'd be blown away at how much is, is there and how much is available. And so, so we, don't, we don't have that belief anymore that we just believe in God because we can't explain certain things, right? So macroevolution, 
that it is stated, it's evidence that the creation story is not viable and God does not exist. Now, I kind of mentioned this yesterday that even if, <clears throat> even if macroevolution was true, you, under, you understand the difference between macro and microevolution. Okay, we believe in microevolution. And here's what I mean by that. Well, let me just start with macro. Macro is the idea that one species through billions of years of time and, and mutations in the genes and etc. will transition from one species to another, right? That's what macroevolution is. Do we believe in that? No. Microevolution is simply environmental adaptation. In other words, if you have a herd of deer in Alaska and they're surviving winters, what kind of fur are they going to have? Thick fur, right? And very short seasons of shedded hair where their hair is thinner. If you take that herd of deer and you move them down to Florida, over the course of a couple generations, what's going to happen to their hair per most permanently? It's going to be thinner, right? Because they're going to adapt to their environment. Every one of you, every summer, has an element of adaptation. When you go out into the sun, what happens to your skin? It, it, you know, it, it gets sunburned and then you get a tan, right? Because your skin begins to adapt. And so microevolution we believe in. But microevolution is not the changing of one species to another. So I had this girl one time who came to uh, uh, this little... Uh, we were at this county fair and we had like the eight laws of health booths and all that. And I watched her. She was probably, you know, 20, 22 years old. And she's going through the booze. And she's just like, oh, man, this is just so great. And, and she's getting her blood pressure checked and all this kind of thing. And she's smiling and happy. And she comes all the way around to my booth. The last one, which is, the, which is what? Trust in God. And she, she goes up and she looks at me and she smiles. And then she looks up above my head when it says trust in God. And she's like, she looks at me and she goes, I don't believe in God. I said, oh, really? No, I'm an atheist. And I think it's amusing because many times people will say to me, I'm an atheist, as if like I'm supposed to go, oh, wow, oh, oh, man, I'm so afraid. I say, oh, really? Welcome. Let's visit together. Let's chat. And so I just chatted with her, and I won't, for the sake of time, tell you the whole conversation, but I ended up asking her a lot of questions that she couldn't answer. And then what she thought was her scientific reasoning for why God didn't exist just kind of melted before her eyes. And she said, well, you've given me a lot of things to think about today. I said, well, good. I'm glad that we could do that. And then I said, tell me about your life. And she says, oh, you, you don't care. I said, no, I'm actually very interested. I would like to know about your life. And as it turns out, her parents were like these really hypocritical Christians. And her dad was, you know, like abusive, not like sexually, but like verbally and, and just nasty with her and all this growing up. And it turns out that she hated God because of the way her parents treated her. But she masked it behind what? atheism. And she said, here's all the reasons why I don't believe in God. Well, one of the questions I like to ask people is, I'll say to them, can you name for me any species of animal 
either in the fossil record or on the earth today, that you can point to and say, this species transitioned from one to another. Guess what? You can't point to one. And that's why the theory of macroevolution is still a theory. Because the truth is, you have a bunch of people with educated minds who say, we think this is what happened. But there's really not any evidence. You can't point to the fossil record and find a transition of species, nor can you point to anything today. And there's some little, there's some little fish in a cave somewhere that, that kind of, they think, uh, you know, over generations they went blind. or something. I forget all the story, but, but the bottom line is that all the changes that were made, and there were some changes, they were still, at the end of the day, fish. You know what I'm saying? Because no Christian in his right mind, no person that has any sense of science would argue that change isn't possible in a species. It is possible. But transition is not possible. You don't find that in any capacity. And that's one of the biggest pillars of macroevolution. In fact, how many of you have ever seen this DVD called Expelled by Ben Stein? Anybody ever seen that? Only a few of you. You can probably find it on Netflix or, or Amazon Prime or whatever. Um, but look it up. It's called Expelled by Ben Stein. And what Ben Stein does in this documentary is he travels across the United States and he, he finds a pattern. He, he's, he found that there were a number of evolutionary scientists who are beginning to reject the theory of evolution because they're just coming to the conclusion that there's really no science for it. There's really, there's really no evidence for it. And but what they are finding is that there is evidence for at, at least the concept of intelligent design. Now, these scientists are not saying, yeah, I believe in the God of the Bible who created. They're not that far yet, but they are saying we have to believe that there is some kind of higher entity that is at least in some capacity influencing the universe. Yes, brother. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there are many others. There are many others. And so what happens is these professors begin to teach an alternative. They're still teaching the theory of evolution, but they're beginning to say, hey, we think that there's evidence of this as well. And what happens to them? They're immediately fired. They're immediately fired with no questions asked. I mean, there are things that they're discovering more every day, and you can look this up actually, but uh, for instance, just a couple of years ago, there was, a, there was a scientist who found a triceratops, um, I believe it was most of the skull or something, and it still had soft tissue on it. And th that's actually happened a couple of times, two or three times. And when he started presenting the case that maybe this isn't as old as we thought, he was immediately fired. And so Ben Stein goes around and he... And he, uh, he's interviewing these scientists, right? And, there's, and they're giving all these reasons why. You need to see the video. Well, at the end of the video, he interviews Richard Dawkins. How many of you know who Richard Dawkins is? 
And so, you know, it shows both of them. It's kind of like a little bit dramatic. Like it shows both of them in the dressing room and they're getting their powder on and they're putting their clothes on and all this kind of thing. And then, you know, it shows them walking down the hall and there's like this orchestra music kind of building. And then they come in and they sit down and Ben Stein is, you know, how many of you know who Ben Stein is? Like, you remember the, the, no, no, that's Bill Nye. Ben Stein is the, the old commercials. Do you have dry eyes? Do you remember those? Yeah, that's him. He's like really monotone guy. No expression on his face. He's always like this. And uh, yeah, but he's, he's a brilliant man. Brilliant man. So anyway, he interviews Richard Dawkins. And the interview is very fascinating. I won't go through the whole thing, but I'll just share with you the main point. And he's, well, before he interviews him, at the very beginning, he interviews all the scientists that were fired. And then he interviews a few scientists that are just very staunch evolutionists. And basically, he's, he's sharing logic with them, and they're just, it's just going like this. And it becomes very clear that it doesn't matter what evidence they're going, that they have, they're still going to hold on to this idea. You know what I'm talking about? And that's very interesting because that's a, that's a human pattern. It's like people who come to our evangelistic meetings and say, I don't care what the Bible says. I've had people say to me, I don't care what the Bible says. I saw my dead grandma standing at the end of my bed, and that's what I'm going to believe. You know what I'm talking about, these kind of people. And I mean, I, I've, I mean these people present themselves as Christians and then they ultimately come to the place where they say, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I believe. And that, it became clear that these guys, these scientists, so to speak, who are supposed to be open to the truth and unbiased, are very much biased. And when you look at many of their lives, their lives are full of pain and, pain and wounds. Okay, And so he comes to the point where he interviews Richard Dawkins and he asks him a question. He says... He says, so then where did, if we come about through evolution and, 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 these, uh, and those processes, macroevolution, where then, how did the first cell that began to multiply and all that come about? It used to be, you know, lightning struck a, a bowl of mucus and, and then something happened, right? Well, they've tried that many times in the, in the, in the labs, and they've never been able to do it through electric uh, charge. And no one's ever seen it done in nature either. I mean, that stuff ought to be happening all around us. If it happened back then, why wouldn't it still be happening now, right? I mean, if you have primitive primates and you have humans and we came from them, you still have those and you still have us. Where are the ones in between, right? So anyway, so he asked him this question, where did this cell come from? And Dawkins says, well, we really don't know. And then he says this. What we tend to believe is that billions of years ago, another civilization of people from a faraway place, who all, and he makes sure to add, who also came about by evolutionary means, you go watch the video, basically came to planet Earth and deposited a cell or some cells 
And then they left. And that began the evolutionary process until we have what we have today. That's what Richard Dawkins says, the number one evolutionary scientist in the world. That's what he says. Now you tell me. That's, that's exactly the point. Where do, those, where do those people come from? Who planted those cells? And who planted the cells of those? You know, you just go all the way back. And it's just an utter refusal to accept the possibility. Even though it's an intelligent thing to think about, and you, there is evidence for it, you can read the books, still there's a refusal to do it. Mind-blowing to me, right? Now, let me talk to you about <clears throat> dating systems. How many of you have heard of carbon dating, right? It, you know, you, you take uh, something and, and you, you basically you measure how much carbon in it is in it. And we understand in our current environment, and our current um, atmosphere and so forth, that carbon breaks down at a certain speed, right? So that's where you get this term half-life, right? So how long does it take for half of a carbon a molecule to break down, yes? And then we can test something, and we can say, oh, well, how much carbon is in it? Oh, well, if it's this old because of this rate, then it must be this, this age, right? Well, <laughs> They, they, took some, they found out that that's actually not accurate, and they took some cells from a live cat and a live dog, and it showed the cat to be, you know, like, I don't know, 500,000 years old, and, and then the dog was like 300,000 years old. And so the reality is, is that we don't know that carbon has broken down at the same rate <clears throat> all this time. It can, it can be changed by various means, various differing variables, like atmospheric pressure, whatever. Different pieces can come together and the breakdown of carbon. And so we don't know at what rate carbon broke down 2,500 years ago or 3,000. You understand what I'm saying? So it's really not an accurate measurement of really anything because they take living things today, they tested it, and it shows it to be thus old. And so... There's many things, there's many holes is my point. Now, you know, they're going to attack the creation side and they're going to say the same thing. Oh, well, you have holes and you have this and that. Uh, but the reality is that nobody was really there at creation. You understand? And I believe, though, that there's pretty good evidence for our, I mean, when you look at, well, let me just put it to you this way. Evolution is a very chaotic process, yes or no? I mean, the, the way that things change and advance are by mutation, which is literally, I mean, it's literally mutation of genes is like taking a grenade and throwing it inside of a room, maybe four or five grenades, it blowing up and expecting that organized, systematic functioning entities are going to come out of that. It just doesn't work, you understand? That's what mutation is. And yet, it said, I mean, and when you think about it, you know, for instance, a giraffe, they say the reason he has a long neck is because he couldn't reach the trees, and so his neck grew longer through generations from stretching, stretching, stretching. Well, the reality is, is that like, like his neck doesn't know that he's trying to get the leaves. You understand what I'm saying? And why didn't he go to the same place as the zebra to get his food? You understand what I'm saying? Like there's lots of animals 
that don't have long necks who always get enough food. Are you with me? And so, essentially what they're saying is, is that evolution has intelligence. Because it has to know it has a need, and then it randomly mutates, or, or it, the body begins to change, so, and, and it's just not so. You know, you understand what I'm saying? It's not so. And animals can adapt, but it's not, they're not thinking about it. They don't know that they have a need for it. So macroevolution of itself is a chaotic process, and yet what you see in the world today, I mean, when you look inside of a tulip, what do you see? You see perfect symmetry. The only thing that, if evolution is true, the only thing an organism needs is to function, it needs to exist, and it needs, it needs to exist one, so it needs to stay alive, it needs to be able to function, and it needs to be able to reproduce. That's it. If evolution is true, and it can do that, there is no need for advancement. See what I'm saying? And so, the concept of evolution is that the further along you go in the evolutionary process, the better those things become. But what's happening to the world? What's happening to people? And we're, we're not getting better, we're getting worse. Our lifespans are going down. I mean, we're only keeping ourselves alive by pills, not because our bodies are getting better. Our bodies are breaking down. They're getting weaker. Our minds are getting weaker. It's obvious. You look at the people in the 1800s and 1900s, and many of them were way smarter than a lot of people today. They were thoughtful, right? We're not thoughtful. Well, there's reasons for that, because we look at a screen for 10 hours a day. But in evolution, if it's true, there's no need for color. We don't need color. Everything can be black and white. You understand what I'm saying? But you find perfect symmetry. You find very complex systems, the human body, animals, plants. I mean, things are so complex that, you know, to say it comes about by random chance is more believable than to say it comes about by an evolutionary process, which, yes, it is that, but when I say that, I mean mutation, because mutation is chaotic. You understand? And you don't get organized, beauty, symmetrical, advanced systems from chaos. You don't get that in anything that you try to do. If you throw a hand grenade into a printing shop, you don't come out with a book of encyclopedias. It just doesn't happen, you understand? And so it's, it's a mathematical impossibility, okay? And so, you know, basically, the Big Bang Theory and the, the law of thermodynamics is this, that there is like a one and almost infinity chance that you could come to a place in time where all the elements would be at the right place in the right time, which would cause an explosion to start spinning everything to be able to get to the place where we are today. Are you with me? So basically, what the law or um, the, um, the Big Bang Theory is, is that the universe existed for so long in just darkness and disarray 
that eventually that one chance in infinity came along and boom, there it is. That's, that's essentially what it is. That that chance finally came along. Well, friends, I'm just telling you, like, I don't know about you, but when the smartest guy in the world, well, I wouldn't say that, the most recognized evolutionary scientist in the world says that the way our cells got here was because another alien came and planted them. I don't know. All right, let's go on. So to say that there is no scientific evidence for God is unfairly closing the door. It is being closed-minded and unscientific, which is also biased, which science claims it is not biased. Um, all right, so let's keep going here. Number three, if God is so good, why is there evil? I want to say just a couple of things about this. And because, because of the fact that we're Adventists, and we understand the concept of the great controversy. That, to me, is a great answer. Okay, the great controversy. And I don't need to explain that to you because you understand that. But, obviously, the, the pain and suffering in the world is real. Right? How many of you have seen The Chosen? If you've not seen that, I would encourage you to check it out. But, there's, a, there's one scene in one of the videos where... Someone asked him that question: Why, why is it, um, why is there pain and suffering? When's it going to end? And the, essentially, he says, "In this life, bones are still going to break, hearts are still going to be hurt, uh, but in in the end, light will have victory over the darkness." Right? And so we understand that the cause of of the problems that we see in the world today, it's not because of God. And here's what I love about atheists, though. Here's what I love about them, is that they have such a sense of justice that they're angry at the person who is perceived to be the one who has the power to do something about it. Are you with me? And I love that, because that means that their hearts are open to justice and truth and mercy. Amen? It's just that they think, why, if this guy is real, why isn't he doing something? And the answer is, he has done something. And when you understand the fullness of the great controversy, you understand that there is a plan in place, and we're marching very quickly toward the end of that plan. But if you can understand the fullness theologically of the great controversy, then you understand very clearly why God isn't doing something about it. Oh, I mean, He is, but why He's not just bringing it to an end in a moment, Right? So we won't get into all that, but you understand that. And so, I want you to see this thing. Of course, God gave human beings free will to choose. And I just, I explain to people like, do you ever do people wrongly? Well, yes. I said, then just stop. Like when that girl is brokenhearted because you, you slept with her and then just used her, that's not, God's, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. Don't, don't do that again. And then no girls will be hurt by you. Right? Don't be selfish. And no one will be in pain. When you see somebody that's hungry, feed them. Right? So without free will, people could not choose to love or respond to love. Therefore, God did not create evil, but people have what? 
People have chosen it. God created a world in which there was no evil. But humans chose it. God did not choose it for us. He did not push it on us. He did not you know, do anything. He, he, he created a world where it was very possible for us to always choose good, but we're the ones that chose evil. So this is a very interesting point because with a relative view of truth, as we talked about the other day, remember that? Where there really is no right or wrong. How can you point at a group of ten men finding a woman in the dark alley and every one of them raping her until she's bloody and passed out? Why is that wrong? If, there, if truth is relative and there is really no right or wrong, then how can anybody point to any act of violence and say that's wrong? Because we can't. Are, are you with me? Does that make sense? So either there is a truth and there is a right or wrong that has to be established by some entity or any act of wickedness is okay to do. Because really, if that's the case, then we are nothing but advanced animals. And the only restraint that we have is the pressure and the expectations of our society. Well, as we've seen over the past decades, the expectations and the, and the, um, the cultural rules of our society are rapidly sliding. Are you with me? Where what once was viewed as an appalling thing is now accepted as just open, everyday practice. It's just part of my lifestyle. Does that make sense? So where is it going to be in 50 to 100 years? Right? So if I have a relative view, how can anything be called evil? Evil requires the existence of a standard. And what is the standard? It's built inside of us to some degree. It's our conscience. It's the knowledge of right and wrong, but it's certainly written here, right? It's certainly written there. All right, <clears throat> I want to... Um, yeah, and here's a point that evil is the absence of what? Good. Did you know that there's no such thing as cold? Did you know that? It's just the absence of heat. There's really no such thing as darkness. You can't really measure darkness. You can only measure... Light. So darkness is the absence of light. And evil is the absence of good. Right? Alright. I love this meme. And there's two... There's this young man who looks like a, you know, a young strapping man who would make all these kind of points. And then there's Jesus. And he asks Jesus, So why do you allow things like famine, war, suffering, disease, crime, homelessness, despair to exist in our world? And Jesus says... It's interesting that you should bring that up, as I was just about to ask you this exact same question. People, people have this idea of some kind that God is sitting up there making all these things happen. Did you know, and, people, and, I, and I've had friends, and they'll say, oh, well, why would I believe in God when He allows this? And they'll hold up a picture of a starving child in some third world country, or some diseased person, or leprosy. And I'll say, why would I follow a God that lets this go on every day? And I said, well, that's a great point. If I believed in that kind of a God, I probably would have been in Him too. I said, but the truth is, is that children don't starve every day because God doesn't, because there's not enough food in the world. We actually have enough food in the world to feed, I think they said, like 10 or 12 billion people. 
So there's actually enough food in the world to feed every mouth. Now certain areas have famine and so forth, but the whole world is not going, it's not like there's 10 billion of us and 5 billion amounts of food to go around. And I said, so we could feed every mouth. The Bible says that God sends the sunshine and the rain to fall on the just and the what? Unjust, right? So there's enough food for every mouth. So God has done His part. Yes or no? But the Bible says that God has called each of us to be what? Stewards. So the problem is not that God is starving little children, it's that we are not doing the job that He gave us. Right? So it's not God's fault. Whose fault is it? It's ours. So then I'll say to them, I'll say, hey, look, let's do this. I'll take $1,000 of my money. You take $1,000 of your money. And we'll go right down here to the Red Cross and we'll buy food for like 10 families for a year in some country. You pick the country. And that person, I've actually done this, and a person was like, well, I don't have $1,000 because, you know, I'm working and, I, and I'm paying my rent and all these things. I said, fair enough. I said, but, you know, I'm looking right here. You have three gaming systems right there. And you have a bunch of games. And if we could sell all of those gaming systems, we could probably get, you know, like five or $600 out of those. And then stop drinking beer for three months. Save that money. I'll spot you the money. You just pay me back. But don't drink beer and don't go out to eat and don't smoke. I'm not saying it's a sin to go out to eat. But don't, uh, don't smoke cigarettes for three months and that will give you the $1,000 and we'll be able to go and help somebody else. What do you think the answer is? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Right? Why? Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works and there is none who does good. Now notice God's not just picking on atheists. He says there is none who does good. And that includes who? We're all unrighteous. The Lord looks down on heaven, uh, from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have all become corrupt. There is none who does good. And so it's very interesting that when, oftentimes when it comes down to it, we want to be selfish in our nature. And many times... The, the unconverted heart will give out of its abundance. You understand what I'm saying? But the unconverted heart will give... I'm sorry. The unconverted heart gives out of abundance because there's going to be some benefit attached to it, whether it be glory or praise or whatever. See, like, like if we're hungry, we're not thinking about praise from people. We don't care about that, Right? But when we've had our needs met, then we start thinking about pleasure and praise, right? See what I'm saying? So in America, most of the time, our very basic needs are met. So people are willing to give out of an abundance because it's going to bring what? That's why Jesus says, when, you, when your right hand gives, don't let your left hand know what you're doing, right? Don't let people know what you're doing. Don't announce it. Don't trumpet it, right? 
And so the problem is not God. Most of the problems that we bring, that we have in the world, it's our, it's our own problems. It's our own fault. We've caused it as human beings. You understand? So we chose evil. We caused the problems. And then we want to go blame the guy. Doesn't make sense, does it? And many times I don't get a response from people. Well, what about all the evil done in the name of God? Much evil has been done in the name of Christianity, people say. Well, what about the Crusades? And I say, well, what about World War II and the, and the concentration camps? Hitler was an atheist. He was a spiritualist. So does that mean all atheists kill Jews? And they're like, well, of course not. I said, well, then obviously all Christians don't kill uh, Muslims either, right? And I said, that's not even an argument. You can't even make that case. The truth is that hist people will say, history has shown that wherever religion is present, evil and corruption is sure to follow. Well, there's a lot of corruption in communism that seeks to extinguish religion, right? So you can't just you just can't make that case. I mean, if you make that case, I'm going to make this case. And so, what my conclusion is that's not a Christianity problem or an atheist problem or a communist problem. It once again is a human problem, human problem in which we all need some kind of external help and source of power outside of ourselves. Are you with me? All right. So, uh, the truth is that there have been misguided Christians just like there have been misguided atheists, right? Again, human problem. And if everyone followed the teachings of Jesus fully, no evil would be done in the name of God. That's the truth. If you follow the Beatitudes, if you, if you follow the teachings of Christ, we wouldn't have that problem, these problems, right? That's, that's the bottom line. And Christians could also... I mentioned this already. So I want to share with you some interesting quotes. This is from Charles Darwin. He says this, I am quite conscious that my speculations run beyond the bounds of true science. It is a mere rag of hypothesis with as many flaws and holes as sound parts. Most people don't know this. But Charles Darwin initially studied to be, was studying to be a Presbyterian minister. He was studying to be a pastor. And he had nine children, and I believe it was either four or five of those children died. Because it's, you know, this is the 1800s, and you have ten children, and there's a good chance half of them would die, either at birth or at small age. And four, four or five of them died. So he had that experience in his heart. And he also saw how the animals devoured one another. Okay? It wasn't that he dis... You will not find a place where he says, I don't believe in God. It wasn't that he disbelieved God. But again, you remember the time period. It's the 1800s. It's following the French Revolution. It's an age where... Christianity is being called into question because of the corrupt his, uh, Christianity of the Dark Ages, right? And so he's not sure what to believe, okay? He's trying to find an answer. He sees how the animals devour one another and they're just... And he says, what is this? And so he started his studies and he was trying to find an answer to why, how God could be good 
and the world could still is is what we see. It's bad. Does that make sense? And so he said, well, maybe God essentially, you know, just he didn't really have as much of a of an interaction with the world as the Bible says says. Maybe he just kind of like started a process and then just let it go, which is essentially what? It's essentially deism, right? And so he was trying to find answers like everybody else. And that's how he came up with the origin of the species. So his research was not necessarily intended to defy God, but to try to explain what he saw in the world. I mean, you could say amen. I mean, that, it, it gives a different spin on Charles Darwin. I mean, I'm not saying he was right, but the guy was searching. You understand? And that's true of many atheists. They are searching. They cannot find reasonable answers for the chaos they see in the world. They just can't. And many people become depressed about it. Albert Georgi uh, made this statement. He was a scientist. To improve a living organism by random mutation is like saying you can improve a Swiss watch by dropping it and bending one of its wheels or axis. Improving like by random mutations has the probability of what? Zero. In other words, to improve something by mutation is not really possible because, once again, it is a chaotic process, you see. And you do not have organization, symmetry, and beauty, and function out of chaos. Nothing in history has ever demonstrated that. And yet, our entire scientific framework in the world today is based on that idea. It's just not, it's just not intelligent. Dr. Harold Urey, who is a chemist, made this statement, All of us who study the origin of life find that the more we look into it, the more we feel that it is too complex to have evolved anywhere. We believe as an article of faith that life evolved from dead matter on this planet. It is just that its complexity is so great, it's hard for us to imagine that it did. It's just mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And then Richard Leakey, world-famous paleoanthropologist, said, If pressed about man's ancestry, I would have to say that all we have is a huge question mark. To date, there has been nothing found to truthfully support a transitional species to man. If further pressed, I would have to state that there is more evidence to suggest an abrupt arrival of man rather than a gradual process of evolving. That abrupt arrival would be what? Yeah. God forming man from the dust of the ground and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Who knows how long it took God to put Adam together? You know, maybe five minutes, maybe five seconds. I don't know. Whatever time he wanted to take is what it took to demonstrate his point, and then he breathed into us. I mean, more and more scientists today are realizing this. So here's a few thoughts to make atheists think. Here's some things that I've shared. And um, the number one is, how do you know for sure? And here's what I... Let me just make sure I'm not confusing this with another one here. Yeah, okay. So I'll say to them, how do you, how, how do you know for sure? Okay? So I'll say to them... Let's just suppose that, no, no, I'll ask them this. I'll say, of all there is 
in the universe to know? How much do you think you know? How much do you think you know? Brother, you look pretty intelligent. 50% of all there is to know in the universe? Do you think you know? What about your wife? How much do you think she knows? Oh, we don't answer that. Right? <laughs> how, many you think, how many of you think you know 10% of all the, all the knowledge in the universe? Not just the world, but the universe. 5%? 3? 1? Okay, let's be extremely generous and say that you know 1% of all there is to know. That means there's how much that you don't know. Is it possible that God could exist in the 99% that you don't know? Is it possible? I'm not asking them to say that it is, it is true, but is it possible? There's no way a person could say no. The only way you can say no is if what? You know everything there is to know. And nobody does, right? So God could exist in the 99%. Now on the flip side, is it possible that God, that you can know 1% and still have had an experience or an interaction with God and know that He exists? Yeah. So the odds are much more in our favor than the other favor. So you can't really know. So another thing I'll say to people is, you know, they'll, they'll say, so at best, at best, so really, truly, there are no atheists in the world. Right? At best, there's agnostics. Yes? And so usually people will say, I say, so at best, you can be an agnostic, not an atheist. Because, you know, everything that you know doesn't, the evolutionary theory doesn't prove that God doesn't exist. So then I say, but let me just ask you this. If, if you could know for sure that there was a true, just, kind, compassionate, loving God who, you know, He's, he's greater than you, he's, he's, he's many steps above you, but yet He makes Himself available to you and has a personal interest in your life and He wants to interact with you, not to impose His greatness on you, but to come down and be where you are, to just be your friend and to interact with you, and He has your best interests in mind. If that was a possibility, if that was a possibility, is that something that you would be interested in and you would want to experience? No person in their right mind would say no, right? And so they say, I've never had someone say no. And I've asked this question many times. And, and so they say yes. I said, oh, well, that's good. So really, you're not an atheist or you're not, and you're not an agnostic. Really, you're a seeker of truth. So in, in, in five minutes, we've gone from atheist to seeker, right? And then some of the other things that I've been able to share with you, you know, can be shared with them. And you're not, what you're not going to probably do is win an atheist overnight, you understand? Because they're going to have to think, it's hot in here, isn't it? Is it hot in here to you guys? Should we turn on this air conditioner? Everybody says no every day. It's like, that thing's pointing right at you, brother. Who yeah. turned, you turn that fan on today? Yeah. Yeah. I knew it. I 
asked people if they would hate me if I did it, and they'd be like, no, we won't hate you. Oh, it's all good. But I didn't ask them. It's better than we had yesterday. Yeah, it's all good. We'll endure. We only got we only got another hour, so. Um, no, I'm kidding. So, but you understand what I'm saying is that it's going to take time, and you're going to have to follow Christ's method, right? But sharing these things with them. So another thing I've said is I'm an atheist too, and people are like, "What do you mean you're an atheist? You just told me you were a Christian." And I said, "Well." If the God that I believe in is like the God you described, then I'm going to be an atheist too. I said, but maybe you've experienced that, but that's not what I've experienced with God, right? So, but here's, the, here's, here's, here's a little bit more insight into that, is that typically what they've experienced that's caused them to be bitter towards God is not God, it's people. It's institutions, it's organizations, and it's experiences in their life. It's not God the person at all. And so because of their interactions with people who profess God, and it's been negative, that's how they perceive God is. Well, it's no different than what the, the people did during the French Revolution. They said, oh, what the Catholic Church presents, if that's what God is, and we don't want it, Right? It's the same thing today, see? And so people need a clear picture of who God is. And that's where if we've truly experienced Him, we have an opportunity to share, this has been my experience, and help them gently see maybe, maybe what you think God is is based upon these other things, not so much the person that He is. And so then I make an appeal to them to really understand who He is, right? And so I have an opportunity to share with them either through Bible studies or having them read a book or whatever. Number three, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And so I've, some of the more belligerent ones, I, I said, well, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. What do you mean by that? I said, well, like you, can't, you don't ha really have any evidence for the things that, I mean, there's no evidence, there's no you know, transitional species in the fossil record or today. There's nothing that is based on, it's all based on, on beliefs and faith. And let me give an example of this. And I get, I've told this to people. When I was a freshman in college, most every freshman, unless you, you know, you find a way to finagle out of it, has to take biology, right? Biology 101 and Biology 102, typically in your freshman year, maybe your sophomore year. So your first semester is in the fall, and you have Biology 101. Then you have Biology 102 in the spring, right? In Biology 101, you learn an element of the law of thermodynamics, which is that living matter can never come from what? How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's like one of the top laws of science today, is that if you have a rock, you can melt that thing, you can burn it, you can boil it, you can whatever with it, you can let it sit for 100 billion years, and at the end of that time, it's still going to be what? A rock. Have you, have you heard? I mean, this is a basic law. So you learn that, you know, no living matter comes from non-living matter. You go home for Christmas, People eat lots of ham and turkey, open their presents, 
They come back to school. And in the spring, we learn Biology 102 that everything living came from non-living things. The Big Bang Theory, lots of chemicals and, 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 and molecules and different things that came together and then they all of a sudden exploded uh, and you know everything started spinning and that began the orbits of the planets and the solar systems and everything shot outward. And then you know planet Earth, there's this the right formulation of chemicals and lightning struck and boom, you have a living cell. Wait a minute. It was like it was like seven weeks ago, six weeks ago, that you just told me that nothing living comes from anything non-living. Now, what happened here? Somebody ate too much ham over Christmas. <laughs> but people don't stop and think about it. And I'm telling you, like, that's not something I made up. I went to a state university, and that's exactly what I experienced. And I asked the question, I, was, I wasn't even a Christian. I was, and I said, like, didn't we just say that? And they were like, oh, well, that's, that's different. I mean, what do you mean it's different? How is it different? You're teaching the exact same stuff. So these are the kind of inconsistencies that I'm talking about. It's there, but people don't stop and think about it. People just swallow what people... I mean, it's mind-blowing because so many people who are anti-religious will say, oh, you religious people, you just swallow the pill. What pill are you talking about? Like, I'm a thinking person. I can think for myself. You're, and many times, the whole of society will swallow a pill if it's pushed hard enough. You have to think about things. Anyway, going on. I don't have time for a password wager, but you can look that up on the internet. It's basically if God doesn't exist and you live a life as a Christian, you've had no loss. But if you do whatever and God ex ex does exist, then you've lost everything. That's essentially it. Ask the Russians. And um, there's a little bit... Do you, do you mind if I go like five minutes over? Sure as in you care, or sure as in you don't care? All right, good. Okay. All right, ask the Russians. Mark Finley tells this story that when communism fell in the Soviet Union, he was invited over there to preach. And he had three topics to present on why the Bible is valid. So he, he I think, I don't even remember what he said he preached on. He preached on like, uh, he did an archaeology one, and he did one on science, and one on how can God be good and evil, or something like that. So at the end of those sessions, the scientists, and he did this for like several hundred scientists, some of the top scientists in all of the Soviet Union. And at the end of that time, they would ask questions. They could ask questions. And he was expecting them to, you know, try to refute uh, with science, the science he was presenting, and et cetera, et cetera. But they started asking a different style of question. They would ask, how do you find, how do you find victory over addiction? How do you find true joy and peace in life? <clears throat> how do you have a happy marriage? How, how, what's the best way to raise your kids? How do you keep from losing your temper? Those kind of questions. And he, and he just, you know, he would answer those questions. And at the end of the time, he said, you know, you gentlemen here and ladies have baffled me. He said, because I was expecting a whole different slate of questions, but you've asked questions that are very near to every human heart on earth. And here's what they said. 
the, the leading scientist stood up. This is a true story. Heard it with my own ears. This leading scientist stood up and he said, communism failed us. He said, communism taught us that we're nothing but a number. And evolution has taught us that we're nothing but an animal. And he said, we believe in our hearts. We've talked. And there has to be a greater purpose to life. There has to be something there. And he says, and we want to, he says, so we have no doubts that evolution and communism are false, that they don't work. They just said, we want to know that Christianity really has the solutions that we're looking for. And we want to know that your God can deliver us from these things. Oh, yeah. Well, it's part of that whole, uh, this whole part of the Big Bang and the chemicals pressing together so tightly that they exploded and it shot off all these things. So, yeah, it's a good question. But, you know, the reality is that when you take evolution far enough, the survival of the fittest and the weakest are going to phase out, then you have exactly what we had in World War II. That's what, when you mix that idea and you take it to its end, and you mix that with the, with the depravity of human nature, that's what you come out with. You have people exterminating people, entire races of people, to get rid of them because they're consuming the resources. And that's what's happening in China right now under communism. Uh, they're talking, you know, they, for years they were getting rid of babies. They wouldn't allow them to have the babies. And now they're talking about eliminating the elderly. Because once you become unproductive in society, then what good are you? You're just consuming resources. And truly, I mean, like, if there really is no God and we really are animals, then definitely, like, why would you want to be a burden on someone else? But we have a purpose and we have, we have an identity and we have a creator and every one of us are precious in his sight. Amen? Yes. Oh, absolutely. That's right. Elderly people are very valuable, very valuable. Uh, so let me just do this real quick. I'll do it in five minutes. Um, tips for dealing with the atheistic mind. Number one, don't assume that they do not have anything. That's, I have a double negative in there. Look at that. Don't assume that they don't have anything positive to contribute in the areas of ethics, science, and education. They do. One of the mistakes that Christians make is they think atheists are totally unethical or th that they're just ignorant or they're, they're just, they're just in, a, in a cloud. Many of them are intelligent people and they have solutions to many of our human problems. And God has given us that intuition to solve problems, right? And so value them and value their contributions and they can give many positive insights to things. Um, don't just assume that they're immoral because they're not. As I told you, many of them have a very deep sense of justice and righteousness in their heart. Okay? Number two... Respect them and their opinions and ideas. Don't give a turn or burn attitude. I mean, it's just mind-blowing that, well, if you don't believe in God, you're just going to be lost. That's a stupid thing to say to an atheist. They don't, they, don't, they don't relate to that. That's not Christ's method. Carefully consider their arguments as Christ would. And Christianity embraces reason, but we are to test everything. So many times atheists think, that the Christian is ignorant and unintelligent 
and not able to reason. But when we demonstrate to them that we can, and we can give them back something to think about, then they, they, they instantly respect. What they inspect, inspect, what they respect is intelligence. You understand? They want to reason. They want to talk about things. Now, you can't, one thing about faith is that you can't reason it all out. Right? You can't know and understand everything. But remember what we said on the first day, I think it was from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, uh, the faith chapter, is that faith is established on substance and evidence. Yes? So those things, we can engage them. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's not just hope and unseen things. It's evidence and substance, right? And so we're giving them those things, and then they can see that and roll them around. Number three, don't, do take the time to be informed on the other side so that you can give intelligent answers. Read books. Uh, I told you about Norman Geisler. Um, Josh McDowell is another one. There's a lot of great books on apologetics that are thoughtful. Number four, look for moments when they might be spiritually vulnerable, when they're sick, or when they have a death, or they have some kind of loss, and they may be more open. I mean, I have seen, you know, I have lots of Facebook friends that are not Adventists. And by the way, on social media, do not... If, Maybe some of you don't have non-Avenist friends. But if you have non-Avenist friends, don't post stuff as if all your friends are Adventists. You understand? Don't post negative things about the church on there. That's not going to help anybody want to come to your church. You understand? And, and other Adventists don't need to know stuff. They don't need to, we don't need to sit around and mull over all the negatives. You understand? So... Many of these people, I've seen hardcore atheists who just post all kinds of negative stuff, and then they have a crisis in their life, and they awaken to, the, to spirituality, and they'll start posting things like, if God were real, I wonder if He would care what I'm going through, whatever it is that they post. And that's the time to reach in with love, and with understanding, and with compassion. Not telling them what they need to do, not telling them where they were wrong, but just to reach in with love and compassion. Amen? Number five, let them genuinely see Christ in you, especially if they're nasty to you. That's your greatest opportunity to have an impact and an influence on them as when they're treating you like garbage. You respond with that, and they're going to say, you're no better than me. My views are just as good as yours. I have, I have no interest in what you have to say. Nothing. But if you are kind to them when they're nasty, then that makes a... Very strong impression. Some of them do this intentionally to get a reaction out of you. It's true. I've interacted with so many, and they'll say all kinds of cutting things, waiting for me to just, maybe not physically, but you know, like argumentally, just start swinging, and I don't do it. And they're 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 trying to see what is your character like, because I'm not going to talk to you if you're belligerent and all that, even though they may be doing that themselves. You know how it is like when somebody wants attention, when a kid wants attention, what do they usually do? Well, the, well, the lovely kids come up and crawl in your lap and they just, you know. The other ones, like one of mine, I won't say which one, they'll just react. I mean, they'll just fire off with some crazy thing. And it's like, where's that coming from? 
But I know what they need, and I give it to them. Many of them, they're hurting, and they're looking for someone who will care, and they are actually testing you and being nasty to see if you'll still show kindness to them in that. And if you don't, I'm off to something else. Right? Keep in mind that you'll not likely convert that person in five minutes. Remember what I told you. I already told you that. It's going to take time. Don't be afraid or intimidated. You don't need to be afraid. Even if you're scared out of your mind and you don't know the answer, smile and act like you're confident. That's called having high EQ. You know what EQ is? Emotional, Emotional intelligence. And if you don't have high IEQ, you will not do well engaging with an atheist. If you're going to be just so timid. So, I mean, like, you can still be timid, be humble, but be confident as well. Share your testimony of what God has done in your life. Uh, and, you know, do that intelligently. Even if they reject what you share with them, still leave a good impression. Because at least, even if they reject you, at least in the time of trouble when others are coming to beat you and burn your house down, they'll say, leave them alone. They were kind to me, right? Amen. Your house may be saved for another day. All right. Remember, Christ's method and a few others. What's it say? Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed His sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. And then He bade them, what? Follow Me. And she goes on to say, accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, and the power of the love of God, this work will not and cannot be what? Notice she doesn't say the fruit always comes immediately but the fruit will come eternally. Amen? And, uh, and so, I'm just saying, this method works. I've seen many atheists baptized. I have a burden for atheists because I was once one. I've seen people come to my meetings and they, and they become Adventists. And there's nothing, to me, there's nothing greater than seeing a person go from atheism to Adventism. Amen? And uh, it's a powerful argument. And I'll just say this, and I'm not being nasty towards other denominations, but many atheists have questions that your standard denomination cannot answer. They just say, oh, I just believe. No, we, the difference between Adventism and others is we have an answer that reaches both the heart and the mind. We have a very intelligent belief system. It's not just this, you know, confess with your mouth. I mean, it is that, but it's so much more than that. You understand? And so we have a system of beliefs, a network of beliefs that are thoughtful, reasonable, intelligent, that does appeal to the atheistic mind. And I love it. I love it. And just think about many of these people are super ultra-intelligent. I mean, I had a guy come to my meetings in Ukraine. He was an atheist. We ended up, he ended up being baptized. The guy had, had watched YouTube videos on how to play piano. And he had, it w he had only touched a piano one time in his life because he was poor. And he came into the church and he says, oh, do you mind if I sit down at the piano? He sits down and he starts playing classical pieces perfectly. I mean, just going crazy like Beethoven and Joplin and all these other ones. And he's just letting it rip. Second time in his life he ever touched a piano because he's watching YouTube. 
These are the kind of people that are out there. Imagine what God can do through them if He brings them into our ranks. Amen? So be diligent, be watchful, and do the work of an evangelist. Amen? How many of you will commit to that and say, Lord, just bring someone in my path and we can love them, or we can reason with them, and God will change their hearts and He'll bring them into His truth. Amen? Let's do that. Father in Heaven, thank You so much for the time we've had this week. What a joy it's been to be on this magnificent journey of understanding this belief system and how we can, uh, how we can give an answer for our faith and give a reason for the hope that is in us. And by the grace of God, through Your power, we can reach the hearts of those who may not believe and draw them to Your truth. So we will rejoice when we see You doing that. Bless us, we pray, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.